Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. of the Athletic Football Show. Welcome to the Athletic Football Show. I'm Robert Mays. Joining me today is my good friend Nate Tice. Nate, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing very well. I'm feeling super for the super wildcard weekend. Is that a new thing? Is that this year that they started calling that super? Or there, It was a super wildcard weekend last year. I don't remember if they called it that last year. Okay. Uh, I yeah. totally forgot there was a Monday game. I did I, too. This happens to me every single year. So I just revert back to whatever my old schedule thoughts were. Right. It's like, oh, this is this time. This is how this works. So last year we did a Saturday and a Sunday wildcard mm-hmm. preview. So I figured out oh, we'll do Saturday and Sunday again. And then our producer was like, well, you know, there's a Monday game. Like, how do you want to split those up? I was like, God, hmm. damn it. I don't remember how we did it last year. So we're doing <laughs> NFC and AFC. Boom. Wild card preview today. This is the NFC show, the AFC show. It's already available right. in your guys' podcast feed. The wonders of time travel. When as soon as you're done with this, you can go listen to that. Love doing these shows. Love just really digging down into each individual playoff matchup. That's exactly what we're going to do today. Talk about kind of how we got here with each of these teams. A couple aspects on each side of the ball that we're interested in. Try to keep things on the rails as much as we possibly (laughs) can. And we're going to talk about each individual matchup in the NFC. And then when you're done, please go listen to the AFC. So let's start. We're going in chronological order here. Seahawks at the 49ers, Saturday at 4.30 p.m. I don't know about you, but when I went back and rewatched this game, it's we talked about this on a recap show, pretty much all rematches that yep. were getting in the wild card round, some yep. more relevant than others based on right. when they happened. And the Niners Seahawks rematch was in week 15. It was only about a month ago. So a lot of those ideas and a lot of the things that happened in that game can translate to this one. When I was watching the Niners, I just couldn't get over how incredible they look <laughs> on both sides of the ball. Yeah. The skill position talent, Debo didn't even play. Yep. And the guys that they have on that side, the first McCaffrey run that he had, it looks like he gets shot out of a cannon. You go when you watch them play on defense and the defensive line just takes over by the end of the game and Bose yep. is a monster and Warner was a racing an area of the field. Javarius Ward had a great game, which we're going to talk about. And that's how they felt over the second half of the season. Obviously, they've had some speed bumps. They didn't play great against the Raiders and stuff like that. But they have just been overwhelming. That that, that is the adjective that I would use about them over the second half of the year. And I felt like that Week 15 game was such a stark reminder of that. Yeah, both sides of the ball, like you said. The the defense, of course, is, I mean, just an absolutely fantastic unit, no matter how you want to try to attack them, passing or running the ball. The way we talk about their D-line, always playing with their hair on fire, but just every position, linebackers, DBs, they all play the same way, all the same mindset. And then on offense, it's just they could literally take any touch to the house. They have that type of juice on offense. And like you said, like when – 
you get away. You kind of I like doing this show. Sometimes we watch the same team maybe three weeks in a row, and then you kind of take a breather. Sometimes where it's like, okay, yeah. we're talking about other teams and just the flow of the season. Even just a couple weeks of not watching the 49ers on film and all 22, and then watching other defenses. Like I watched the Jags Titans game, watching Giants Vikings, watching just some other games throughout the last couple months, and then rewatching the 49ers against the Seahawks, and then the 49ers also uh, against the Cardinals last week. I'm like, oh my God, this team is so fast. This is the fastest team I've ever seen in my life. You don't really, it's like you have to take a step away to really appreciate it again, get back to that. It, that giddiness watching this team, watching this defense and the offense. That's how I feel watching it. Their offense, especially when they have that, that 21 personnel, that, those five guys out there, Debo, Christian McCaffrey, Kittle, Ayuk, and Juice Check. Uh, Juice Check's kind of the Harrison Barnes role uh, for their death lineup. Valuable, the, though. Valuable. valuable. He does a lot of work. He is a necessary he's, component to what they is. do. Maybe he's the Draymond Green playing center for their death lineup. That's but a, that's, that's what I'm going to call that, that's, uh, Draymond Green's a Hall of Fame player. <laughs> I like Kyle Maybe, Kittle. Maybe Kittle's Jerry Ron Green. I'm going to make this work by the end of the show, but it's, it's their death lineup. We'll that, that is the, the yes, that is their five guys. And man, it's the versatility they show. Like Kyle Shanahan is so creative and, and watching how nothing, when, I, when we say creative, we kind of throw that word a lot around a lot. It's not like he's just doing gadget plays. It, the creativity comes in using the same freaking five guys, 21 personnel and lining guys up. In standard sets, you know, hip formations, eye formations, spread them all out, but just using every guy at every spot. That That is when we say creative and the versatility of this offense. And of course, some of these guys can touch the ball and take it to the house. It's it's awesome. It's an awesome team to watch. And especially even if that Seahawks game that wasn't super high scoring and everything, you could just see the speed and just see, like you said, they just overwhelm teams. And then when they're playing teams that are lesser talented, you know, the Cardinals last week, it's like, oh, my God, you just feel bad for the other team because they're just holding on for dear life. The numbers over the second half of the season are wild. So they are their total DVOA in the second half of the year is 50.4. That doesn't really have much context, but just to explain it, the Bills are second at 35, 34.5. So the gap between the Niners and the Bills at two is bigger than the gap between the Bills and the Steelers at seven. Like that's how dominant <laughs> the Niners have been in the second half of the year. They're nine and a half point favorites, Nate, against yeah. a real playoff team in the mm-hmm. Seahawks, a really solid team with a seventh round rookie at quarterback, their third string quarterback. They're nine and a half point favorites. Yep. That, that is what this team looks like right now. And that doesn't seem high at all nope. based on how much they've been rolling. There was the, the drive in the, in the first quarter where they scored their first touchdown in week 15. They had a play on a second and 10. They were in 21 personnel. Seahawks were in base. And they ran a little concept to the left side where Juszczyk went to the flat from a tight end spot. McCaffrey ran a little curl, and they had Ayuk and an in-breaker behind him. It was a little high-low. And the spacing is just so perfect. And I'm looking at poor Barton, and I'm just thinking, what are you supposed to do? Right. It, there's just no good answer. And they just put those guys in a torture chamber. And like two or three plays later, they run that fake screen, wide-delayed Kittle for a touchdown. Just, yeah. and, and they just feel like a force of nature right now on both sides of the ball. And that was so, so apparent while rewatching them last night. Right. There's so much with a a Shanahan passing game. We're going to talk about the run game, of course, but in that passing game, like you're saying is that they, they really get guys on islands as far as their really good matchups that they want. It's so it's Debo in the slot against some poor linebacker. It's IU in motion doing something. It's Kittle on a linebacker as safety. Like, 
even when you watch the offense, you can see even going from Jimmy G to Purdy and so much of the scheme, the scheme is exactly the same. I've said this multiple times. That is not a joke. They run the exact same place with Jimmy G and Purdy. These guys get on the island. Purdy looks or Jimmy G to that, that matchup that they probably have gone over the whole week. And really, and I don't mean this as in the sense that the scheme is the same, but it feels like college in the sense where it's one missed tackle, your defense is done. Because one missed these tackle, guys, one missed assignment, one missed anything. It's over. It explodes. And just that's it. And that's that really that's why there's some differences with college offenses and NFL offenses. Shanahan's actually even talked about this. Is so many of those guys are on islands. You know, that's why there's all that speed, 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 because one missed tackle goes to the house. That's what this feels like, even though the scheme, of course, is wildly different. And especially when this has happened with Shanahan offenses before, there's been different kind of there's always the same bones, but just different tweaks with it, with, with depending on his personnel. But getting CMC there was kind of like his muse. Like that is like where you're seeing like this is what he wants to do with his offense, and like just that we're talking about passing game, just the run difference when once they got Christian McCaffrey into that lineup, the weeks without him one through six rush success rate. 28th in the league, they bumped up to 6th with CMCs from week 7 through 18. EPA per play, tied for 24th. This is so not Shanahan-like. And they, they bumped up to 3rd EPA per rush. Then also rush DVOA, they went from 28th to 2nd. So it, it's as soon as they got him, this offense just exploded. And that fact exploded so much that we don't even notice that, like you said, Mr. Irrelevant is starting at quarterback for them because that's just how they just keep churning along. The Seahawks team has just been a really solid team all season. You know, like on offense and defensively, they had the really bad start to the season defensively. They bounced mm-hmm. back, I think, in a, in a pretty big way over the second half of the year. Still finished like middle of the pack. The offense still finished middle of the pack over the course of the year after starting very hot. Mm-hmm. But they're a team that I think in any given game can give people problems. And the week 15 game was an example of that for me. So let's let's talk about that a little bit and kind of yeah. how that feeds into what interests you about the 49ers offense against the Seahawks defense. So what about that week 15 matchup do you feel like because I thought the Seahawks defense did a pretty good job mm-hmm. they can take into this game. Yeah, the good things the good thing I'll start with what the Seahawks did well and that was limit the first and sixth second down efficiency of the 49ers which is always going to be the key stopping well any offense but especially a Shanahan offense. True dropback is not their strength. So the the worst Purdy game so far, I believe this game, he, he wasn't bad or anything, but you know, drop pick, but he was okay. But then the Washington game the next week is those were also the the highest average distance to go on third down were those two games for the 49ers offense. That is tied hand in hand to me because that's making them go into the difficult stuff. Um, but I think what's most interesting, we've already referred to it, is the 49ers offense being in that 21 personnel because the Seahawks defense is very bad defending 21 personnel and being a base defense overall, especially more so with Jordan Brooks out. Uh, 49ers run 21 personnel, so that's a fullback, running back, a tight end, and two receivers. Second highest rate in the NFL. The first is the Dolphins. Uh, the Seahawks, why that matters is the Seahawks become very basic in the sense that I predictable and what they run against 21 personnel. They run cover three a ton, and they run a little bit of cover two They or, or cover six, and they also get into ba- uh, bear alignments on their fronts. So like you Explain refer that. to, bear is just, it's a classic three, four front. So you have a nose tackle over the center, and you have two defensive tackles over the guards in some way, shape, or form. They don't do it head up with that nose tackle right over the center. That's a traditional way. They shade them to a one technique, and then two outside linebackers on the outside. So you have a five down front, essentially, with two inside linebackers. But 
that that's fine. That, that's a fine defense. Like you can, there's plenty of stuff you can do out of it. It's just that it's predictable. And going against a guy like Kyle Shanahan, that's that's candy. Like just going, oh, every time I get into this personnel grouping, you're going to do this. Okay, well I'll just do this to you. Um, so front wise, or I'm sorry, coverage wise, the Seahawks will get into a lot of cover three, and you'll see a lot of sail routes, play actions, very good against the Seahawks defense when you're when they're in base because you're getting those linebackers coming up and down, up and down. Nakeds are very good against the Seahawks defense because whatever reason, Pete Carroll defenses, they do not keep contained very well. This is just year after year after year. It doesn't matter what the defense is. doesn't matter the remain coverage. They, their DNs fly after the quarterback or fly after the running back, do not care about the quarterback. That has been consistent now uh, in 2022. I also noticed the other thing was that this Ram, the Rams in week 18 against the Seahawks defense were running duo a lot. Uh, which they were making, I could see why they were doing it. This was more of 11 personnel with three receivers. They were trying to make the corners tackle. They were trying to make the corners get into the run fit. And Seahawks corners, eh, we're doing too great against, great against that. The 49ers will run duo a little bit. They sprinkled in a little bit more over the years. So I don't know. There's, it's not a great match. I'm sorry, Seahawks fans. This offense against this defense is not a great matchup for the defense, but how they can hold on to their hat is really just making it tough on first and second down, putting a cap on it with Diggs and Woolen on the back end. That's how you have to try and get after this foreign airs offense because they do have a lot of answers. I thought they played the run well in that game. Yeah. I think in the first half it was 14 carries for like 56 yards, and there was that one big CMC run. So they were doing pretty well. In the second half, the Niners came out and played more pistol than they did in the first half, which I thought was interesting. And they were running one run concept a couple different times where they had Kittle coming across the formation, kind of a split zone look with Juszczyk leading up out of the pistol. And they hit that a couple different times and early in the first half, and it looked pretty good. So clearly they saw something from that. I wonder if we see a little bit more pistol in this game. And then their first big completion of the second half was again out of pistol. And it was Kittle leaking down the left sideline for that huge chunk. Yes, so they, yes. in some of those late release play actions uh, against a, an out of heavy personnel against the Seahawks team, they got a couple chunks that way. So I wouldn't be surprised if they went back to that again. My biggest question about what the Seahawks do on defense in this game is, do we see more pressure? The Seahawks do not blitz very much. The Seahawks were dead last in the NFL in blitz rate. Week 15 was no exception. They blitzed twice. In the entire game. So interesting. The first time, Quandre Diggs comes off the edge. Second down, I believe, in the second quarter. Purdy has to dirt one. Doesn't account for it. Incompletion. The next play, they bring a pressure on third down. If you can remember from that game, Purdy kind of misses IU kind of come back on the right sideline. He sprays a little bit. That was the second blitz. That's it. They did not blitz again. And I so wonder weird. if they look at the problem at hand. Yeah. And say, we have to do something differently. This is the way that we can tweak things. This is how we can change it up. And they bring a little bit more pressure. Because yeah. the Niners have been relatively good. And Purdy has been relatively good when teams have blitzed them. They run so many inbreakers. It makes sense. Their offense has answers for that. But I just think you got to do something to force the issue. And that's what it would feel like to me for Seattle's defense. And and that's the thing, too. This goes in, especially in the playoffs. Like, you know, screw the stats. It's all about. It's all about team game, you know, so knowing on the other side that that 49ers defense is, you know, a very extremely elite, no matter how you shake it, defense, run or pass, that this is a game that's like, hey, we got to make it mucky. We got to get a turnover. We got to force them. They have to force a mistake. Last game, we keep talking about how they did. They did do a good job. The Seahawks defense, especially on first and second down, is they didn't get that turnover. 
they had the drop pick, but they didn't get that game swinging play. They didn't get a ton of sacks or pressures like that. That's you need one of those. You're the underdog. You're almost ten point double digit underdogs. You have you need it. I mean, that's just football. Well, you can't go toe to toe. Um, but no, I think that's exactly right. I think maybe blitzing is an answer to that. Changing up your defensive structure um, in some way, shape, or form, because otherwise, yeah, Shanahan's going to have the magnifying glass and figure it out. Couple guys that I think would be back for the Seahawks defense. Al Woods did not play for them in the Week Which 15 matchup, and if we're talking about defending the run, yes. I think that's a big thing for them. And then Ryan Neal has missed the last three games. I think of the regular season when they're starting safeties. He's important in this game because if yep. they're going to play a little bit of man, he can actually match up with George Kittle if necessary. He had a really nice play in man coverage against him in this game on the same drive where Diggs dropped that interception. So that matchup now becomes something that's a little bit less of a mismatch for Seattle yep. if with Neil back in the lineup. Yeah, no, that's a great call because Seahawks have had issues uh, defending tight ends throughout the year, and but that was it really got hindered with Neil out that that's part of it, big part of it, because otherwise they run zone, they get kind of diced up. That's why that cover three part is so important because if it's predictable. Okay. We're going to target the tight end on all these deeper routes because that's the area to attack. Okay. Other side of the ball. What's the most interesting aspect of the Seahawks offense against the Niners defense for you? It was that everything that the Seahawks tried, I liked that they were uh, uh, the first game. I'm sorry. We'll start with that, that week 15 matchup. Um, I, I love how we're not even referring to the week two or whatever it was week hey, two, week three. I know it's, it's too like, long ago. Who cares? I didn't watch Trey it. Lance started that game. So, <laughs> uh, but it's no, but like this, their one matchup in the, in December is I actually thought it was really interesting is how much the 49ers were heating up the Seahawks on base downs on first and second down. They put some um, 33% of dropbacks on early downs in that game. That has to be their highest or one of them, I, right? Yeah, it's very much an outlier from their season average. They average about twenty percent over the course of the season. So I thought that they, was they, really they cranked it up for sure. Yeah, yeah they're twenty fourth in the NFL in the amount of early down blitzes that they, they bring. And they only blitzed on two of twelve third down dropbacks in this game. So they they bring a little heat, but it's usually on passing downs. Right. So they did a great job, I thought of mixing it up where they're bringing pressures they're playing a little bit of man early downs. That was one of my takeaways from this game. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like, I was they got to the blitzing. dudes and they're doing this kind of stuff at yeah. you. What a beast they are to deal with. Well, imagine you're a left tackle like, or you're a rookie tackle for the Seahawks who are both good players. They're going to be even very good players. But then, okay, I got Nick Bosa. I got Nick Bosa. I got Nick Bosa. Oh, he's knifing inside. Why is he knifing inside? Oh, here comes the safety coming off the edge. That's what they kept doing because those guys are worried about freaking Nick Bosa. They're worried about those 49ers D-line teeing off on him. So they don't want to be wrong. Okay. I don't think the safety's – oh, he is coming. Oh, shoot. There, there's Hafanga blowing up a play. The the 49ers were just on all the answers I thought that maybe the, the Seahawks could get to. The 49ers had an answer back or they played extremely well. The, the 49ers, if you play empty – against them go five wides against them they're very basic with their coverage check i usually they run quarters and the seahawks know that seahawks are actually very good at empty gino's a good operator at empty he's willing to push the ball they had a rough day um i think it was nine snaps that they had and i think the seahawks only had one successful play out of empty that entire day they i think, I think he completed of, eight of nine passes but they were all for like two yards it's all check downs and yeah. They kept trying to do, and I, I like why they did it, was they would go, they would do what the Rams did last year and teams have done it, empty, but then have the chip help, um, which makes sense. Hey, what's up out our rookie tackles on freaking Nick Bosa? Um, so they would do that. So they're running their seven man concepts or seven step concepts, you know, three deep routes with two check downs. But then 49ers have this guy named Fred Warner 
and they have these DBs that are really good. And so they just pushed and, uh, you know, Fred Warner's running, running dagger concepts for them. So Gino was just like, shit, I just got to check it down again. That's, and then the other answer that I thought the Seahawks might get to is, Hey, let's look at three tight ends. So I looked at the three tight end snaps. They got to it five times. All five snaps were successful for the 49ers and not the Seahawks. So the 49ers won all five of those snaps. I do think that is one way that they can get after them. I think they have to. They have to. That's the answer to me is keep leaning into those empty and the heavier 13 personnel looks. Make them be basic against you and find you got it. You have to. I think that's the answer for them. Niners are fourth in the NFL in EPA per drop back in nickel this season. 17th in base. Which might be a little bit surprising because we talk about how good the Niners linebackers are. Yes. But I think part of that is that they get a little bit predictable out of their base defense. Mm -hmm. The Niners run 58.5% cover three out of base, which among teams that run a lot of base, so like the Cowboys are up there, but the Cowboys run like 10 snaps, so it doesn't count. Among teams that actually use base defense, that's the third highest rate in the league. So if you know that you're getting like, yeah, yeah, like 60%, that's still a pretty good number. So I think yes. that allows you to, if they're a little bit more predictable, we can attack them. And that's yep. how the Seahawks want to play. The yep. Seahawks, 40.5% of the Seahawks snaps this year were in 12 or 13 personnel. That was the highest rate in the entire league. That's how they want to play. Yes. Do you know who was second in the amount of multi-tight end sets they ran this year? Chiefs? The Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah. And now they got Blake Bell back. It's, it's this spread out open it up, sling yep. it around team, and now they're just going back and running Tied 12 in. and 13 personnel. Full circle, baby. <laughs> so the why I think that the heavier personnel and the success teams have had, that also combines with another thing I would like to see from the Seahawks in this game. They could not attack the intermediate or middle of the field in this game. They didn't even try to. Yeah. According to next-gen stats, Geno threw the most outbreaking routes he's thrown in a game against the Niners in Week 15. So how can you create opportunities there? And I think that you have to try to utilize more play action. Yeah. They, had, I, by my count, I think they had three under center play action plays against San Francisco in that game. One of them was a chunk completion to Tyler Lockett on the right sideline that he drew an illegal contact flag on. So one of the reasons I think that they, so I was looking it up. I was like, how often do teams use under center play action against the Niners? Because I can understand being terrified to do it because yeah. of the penetration. Yeah. The Niners are 27th in the NFL this season, the amount of under center play action snaps they've seen. They have 77 of them. The league average is 92. But I think teams recently, when you look at examples of teams that have gotten after the Niners, that's how they've done it. Mm -hmm. The Raiders multiple times were heavy personnel under center play action. Let's wad it up. Let's get one or two guys out in the route and let's try to gash them with it. So I think that's what you have to try to do. I think that number was three in the last game. I think it has to be twice as many as that in this game. We talk about getting splash plays on defense by blitzing a little bit more. I think you got to try to hit some splash plays in the passing game because they could not run the ball in the first game. 23% success rate outside of the one late Kenneth Walker 15-yard run, 12 carries for 37 yards. Right, right, right. So I, I just think that's how you have to do it. The last thing I want to mention about that side of the ball, we talk about matchups and them trying to create some a lot of the stuff that the seahawks do is designed to get dk Metcalf one-on-one against a corner on the outside and they did that a lot in this game yeah the problem is that charvarius ward is like the sixth best defensive player on the niners and he is capable of giving dk Metcalf a really long day at the office and that's what happened he yep. shattered him almost the entire game and 
the physicality he can bring outside the numbers against a guy like Metcalf, it's just one more reason why this is not a great matchup for Seattle because not that many teams have a corner like that, which is just another stroke of brilliance by the Niners personnel department. Going out and having that be their big splash this season, it's ridiculous. They they got a corner that matched their mindset on defense, which is exactly right. Yeah, it's not like a D-tackle or a linebacker or something. That's the underrated thing with the 49ers defense is that their run defense is exceptionally good. And it's not just that they're pass first, you know, pass first defense. Oh, Fred Warner's only a coverage linebacker and all that. No, they their front tees off on every snap. They play with their hair on fire, every single one of them. That's how they're taught. But then their linebackers, their intermediate players are so good at not only tackling, but diagnosing runs. If you watch, one of the cooler things to watch is the linebackers, Dre Greenlaw, uh, Al Shear when he's on the field and, and Fred Warner, when they are diagnosing motion and getting set and everything, and they all move on a string. And it's really, really cool because they're all very cognizant of what you're trying to do. Why I'm saying all that, it's really hard to string together a lot of successful plays against this 49ers defense. You have to beat them with chunks. You have to hope that we can get to those eight to ten explosive plays somehow. <laughs> That's that's the formula because they're really they're really good. They're like they don't really have many weaknesses. Now they got Jimmy Ward in the slot. Those intermediate when Hafanga is down into the box, like they are able to take away all those shorter throws because they're so smart and also the run game. So you have to hit them with chunks. Ward Chavarius Ward is so funny because he's like the Mike Tomlin of corners. Like he plays up to his competition. He does. Like he yeah. <laughs> that's he what he is. Does. That's what he does. He's like oh you're an elite corner. Well or you're an elite receiver. Time to be an elite corner. Oh, you're who are you? Number eighty three. Remember, we were both talking yeah, about the this one chunk completion the Seahawks had in this game, or like almost completion, was to a backup receiver because Ward yeah. took the playoff. He took the playoff. He's like, there, I got to throw. It's home, and Gino did. Like that's how it works. But that's exactly what he is. Uh, no, but that's I, I totally agree with you. I think that's how you have to do it. I think to me, it's getting into those heavier personnel looks, getting them basic. Really, it's kind of the same attack that the 49ers are probably going to use against the Seahawks defense. <laughs> Uh, but doing that same way to get after him because that's a way to get is chunk plays out of heavier personnel looks. And what you've seen from this team, the Seattle team over the course of the season, big time throws at what they can do. Big time yep. throws at what Gino can do. He's capable of making He'll them and they're going to need a handful of them. They're going to need yep. a handful of them to keep in this game. The week, One name we have not mentioned at all, and I think it speaks to the state of this Niners team. Debo Samuel didn't play last game. We'll oh, yeah, be back in this game. Just ridiculous. Reinforcements coming. When I saw him all of a sudden lining up last week, I was like, oh, yeah, you're back. <laughs> we spent two weeks getting excited about you, and we still got excited about the 49ers offense even without you. No, that that's another guy. Another guy that's probably going to terrorize the Seahawks linebackers <laughs> this week. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. 
Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, next one here. Vikings hosting the Giants. Three-point favorites Sunday at 4.40 p.m. Eastern. We saw a really, really good game between these two teams not all that long ago. And that's kind of what this game feels like. Yeah. You, know, you have a 13 and four Vikings team that was within striking distance to get the buy in the NFC. He absolutely could have gotten the two seed if the Niners didn't get ridiculously hot down the stretch. You have a not, Giants team that's nine, seven and one, the six seed. But this doesn't feel like some consolation prize. We're happy to be here matchup for the Giants based on how well the Giants have played for stretches this season and what this game looked like a few weeks ago. I think this has a chance to be a fantastic game. I do too. I, I think this is going to be a great, great game. The, this game and there's one AFC game are probably one of the, the two I'm most excited about. Um, no, I think it is because there's not that one unit where I'm like, oh, this this unit's going to overwhelm the other side. Maybe there's one yeah. player, maybe, uh, that might overwhelm the other side, but a whole unit. So that I think everybody is kind of fairly matched in their own in their own weird ways. Like it, it, that's just how this game feels, which is fun. I think that's awesome because I think it's going to come down to who has a better game plan, who plays better, as opposed to like, oh, they got lucky because they have so much more talent than the other team. I know I'm I'm very excited about this game. Yeah, I mean, the last game that they played, obviously Jefferson was the story, and the yeah. way that he played, he absolutely took over that game. I thought Dan Jones had a really nice game. I thought, again, it was indicative of where both of those teams were mm-hmm. at that stage of the season. So let's start with the Vikings offense against the Giants defense. Most interesting aspect of that matchup to you. How much does Wink keep winking? I'm trying to figure out the Wink Martindale's kind of formula for this game. Wink Martindale... He's going to run man coverage and he's going to blitz. That That's what he does. doesn't matter the matchup. But when they played each other in week 15, it was the fewest amount of man coverage snaps that the Giants have run all year. Might be tied into Adoree Jackson was out. 18% compared to more than 40% on average for the season. It's less than yeah. half as much man coverage as they typically run. Yeah. And they... But they kept blitzing. That that was what was so funny to me was that they didn't run that, but then they just kept being being aggressive. He has to. They blitzed him on uh, blitz Kirk Cousins on twenty six dropbacks in their first matchup. They got three sacks, but Kirk Cousins got ten first downs and had a sixty percent pass success rate. So pretty good. And Justin Jefferson against the blitz had nine targets, five first downs, three explosive plays. So maybe maybe what. Dial that knob down just a little bit because uh, versus not non-blitz looks, um, there's 25 dropbacks. Kirk Cousins had a 40% success rate. So there was a drop. Of course, there's differences third and fourth down, first and second down, all that stuff. But just in general, had a better day against the blitz than not the blitzes. Um, even like he took more hits when the Giants only rushed four. He took five QB hits. When the Giants brought five or more, he took three QB hits. So there was a little bit of difference there. 
Um, I, I'm very, that's what I'm most curious to see is, does he keep leaning into what he always runs? Because to me, this is just my assessment. I think that's suicide to run man coverage and blitz against like a receiver like this. I, I really do. Yes, you're going to win some series. Yes, you can do it and sprinkle it in, run it maybe 12% at a time, you know, one out of six snaps, give or take. But I think leaning into it half the snaps, like he usually does 40%, that's playing with fire. Maybe though you do want to do that, but I just don't see it that way. So that's why I, my number one question, number one thing I want to see is what is the plan for Justin Jefferson from the Giants defense? See, I I disagree. Yeah. I would play. I wouldn't blitz as much as they no, did. No, don't blitz. I would <laughs> play man coverage because you look at the way the Giants have been successful this year. It's when they've played man coverage. They're not a team that plays zone coverage well, and yeah. they played so the outside of themselves in this game. Next gen stats. They played split safety coverages on sixty four percent of dropbacks in this game. That's double their season mm. rate. They ranked thirtieth in the league in doing that this year. And the amount of zone coverage they played, the amount of free access that they gave Jefferson the entire game while they were playing zone yes. coverage. I'm like, what? you're just going to let him off the line of scrimmage this entire game? So I would rather see them play more man and just double him consistently and dare somebody else to beat me. And what, Gi- what the Packers did that was interesting, most teams when they run that one double coverage, they put their second best corner mm-hmm. on the star receiver and then they give him help. And then they say, our best corner is going to erase you. The Packers put their best corner on and still doubled him. They doubled out. <laughs> and I want to see if the Giants do that with Adoree Jackson back. Because yeah. when Adoree Jackson has played, they will shadow the best receiver with their best corner. Fabian Moreau did it in week 16. So do they have Adoree follow him, play more man, and just consistently double him throughout the game now that the state of their secondary is a little bit healthier with Adoree Jackson back and Xavier McKinney back? Because I just think the amount of space Jefferson had to work with in this game, that's what would worry me more than anything else. And that that's kind of what stuck out when I rewatched it. Well, that was the thing. They were bringing zone blitzes. And yeah. that, and when you go against a zone blitz as a quarterback, it's – I hate to use another cross-sports – Do I, I don't hate to use a cross-sports comparison. Yeah, so you thing. love to use it's a cross-sports analogy. But this is how – like when you're – Throwing against the blitz, the general rule is you replace the pressure. And that's like if you're playing basketball, you're playing against a trap team, you replace the trap. You're, where, where is it coming from? Okay, I'm going to replace the press. Where, uh, I'm going to replace that. Kirk Cousins know that, knows that. So that's why you saw those free access looks because Fabian Moreau is like, okay, we're pressuring. I'm going to play off. We're in, you know, we're in yep. three three void or three fire zone, whatever we want to do, whatever we want to call it. So that's why he's catching all those hitches and kind of shorter routes. Um, no, I, I think that's a good point is that zone is not their thing and i don't know because I don't, I don't really know as wink as a one double guy like it, I, it, that's not what they really do but yeah I, they did it they did it a couple times and i would just like to see them do more of it because that's what's work that's not what the packers do either no that's that's a great call too it, that's and that's the thing is that it's it's we sound like a broken record every time we talk about the vikings offense because but this is what justin jefferson does he totally revamps i'm, I'm telling you when and of course, it's a Vikings receiver, but with Randy Moss was that my dad and his staffs, they could never really use a lot of film to, they had to translate a lot because they knew they were getting different looks than everybody else because they had number 84 out there. In fact, I actually, I'm sorry, it just this reminded me, it's like Dory Jackson might be, you know, he's an upgrade over who the Giants have been trotting out there. You know, it's still Justin Jefferson, but do you remember the Randy Moss lateral play, you know, over his head, yeah. you know, against the Broncos? 
Um, so the Broncos had this six four corner named Lenny Walls, and I remember this vividly. And it was he was supposed to be the the Randy Moss eraser. He's six four. He can run with them. You know, this is the guy. This is the new type that's going to stop Randy Moss. And so they played man coverage in that game. Then they're like, okay, you know, we're going to put our six four corner on Randy Moss. And like, yeah, let's see what you do. You know, he's he's better than anyone else you played against. Randy went for ten catches for one hundred fifty one yards on him. So I'm saying sometimes it's like what you think is the best answer in man coverage. The 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 elite guys still obliterate that usually it doesn't matter unless they have an elite guy to defend him but no i i'm every that's what it is with this vikings offense too is that the other thing that they can get to this is my other note sorry i, I just rambled about randy moss because whatever uh but is the giants are also really bad at defending screens um they've given up the most explosive plays in the league to screens in the league this year vikings will get to that a little bit with especially with cook i don't know if Dalvin cook's what his situation is right now but they do like to get to running back screens or motion screens um with the receivers so that's another aspect of this game i'm curious if the vikings lean into that a little bit too i want to see them use more three safety looks too because mm. if they're going to play some man i think that having a guy like landon collins to be able to play against hawkinson that is mm-hmm. useful and he had a couple of really nice reps against him last time they played when they were in man coverage. Yeah. So being rolling out three safeties more consistently, believing you can still stop the run that way, and playing a lot of man, doubling Jefferson, saying somebody else is going to beat me. That that's yeah. a, that's the way that, that I would has do to it. Be. It has to be because the Vikings aren't are a good run team. They aren't. Uh, we they just aren't statistically. They are just haven't been this entire season. That's the thing is if you stop Justin Jefferson, you have to make someone else beat you because that's that's their answer. The other aspect on that side before we move on that I wanted to touch on, they used a lot of 21 personnel in that game, the Vikings did, because the Giants are going to match 21 with base. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're going to do. So if we're going to roll out two backs, that's that's how they're going to match it. And I believe that they had seven dropbacks out of two back looks because they played some 22 as well with two tight ends and two and CJ Ham on the field. Kirk Cousins was five of seven for 64 yards. And the one wide open Jefferson play where Dexter Lawrence got pressure was also out of 22 personnel heavy play action. So That's they didn't call. do it. They did it a lot in the on their third drive is when they started rolling it out and they went down and scored a touchdown. Yeah. And so I think that that, that getting that personnel group on the field and throwing out of it yep. is something that worked for them the first time. And I wouldn't be surprised to see them do that again because that is the one area where I think even, especially with all their guys back, that's yeah. the weakest part of this Giants rosters. Michael McFadden and Jalen Smith and just mm-hmm. the guys they have playing off-ball linebacker. That's when you're a rebuilding team, theoretically, like you that's have to skip somewhere. Not really the position and, you're going to look at. Yeah. yeah. McFadden had a nice game against the Eagles, but, but he's a rookie. I mean, that is yeah. where I think you can get after them a little bit. And I would want to get as many big bodies on the field as possible if I were the Vikings. Yeah. And they did that last game. No, absolutely. If you if you ever notice a theme on the show where we're breaking stuff down is that if you're playing a blitz happy team, you want to make them basic. And how you usually make them basic is you get them into heavy bodies. <laughs> that is a, a good philosophy with offense is trying to get them to do what they don't want to do. They want to blitz. Th- let's get them not to blitz. Last thing on that side of the ball, Garrett Bradbury did not play the last time these two teams played. It was a problem. Yeah. Dexter oh, Lawrence yeah. was a menace. He was a menace. He had seven pressures. I think he had three quarterback hits. So getting Bradbury back, not playing their third string center, that will be important. But they're going to be without Brian O'Neill. Oliudo is going to be playing right tackle. And Kayvon Thibodeau has been much, much better as the season has rolled along. So if they get Thibodeau, Ojolari, and Leonard Williams all out there, those guys missed last week, but they're practicing right now. That's a win for the Giants. It is. That their guys up front, I think, as an aggregate group, can take advantage of the state of the Vikings offensive line right now, even without blitzing. 
and nobody's nobody's been hit more than Kirk Cousins. Like that, it's a thing, and, and it just it, it, Wink wants every play to last two seconds or, or fewer <laughs> or less. Like that's that's his goal. If any play lasts more than two and a half seconds, they're losing. Like that, but that's I think that's really what it is. He's going to try and heat you up either blitzing or those guys up front. No, that's a great point, especially. That center play is huge. It is because just getting guys going the right direction. Uh, if you got a team that's going to try and heat you up, play after play after play. This is a key component of what I'm going to talk about in our next matchup. But that is so, so important, with especially with this offensive line, is that you can't attack vertically and get those chunk plays if you have no clean pocket to work with. And that's playing right into the Giants' hands. All right, other side of the ball. Most interesting part of the Vikings' defense against the Giants' offense for you? That This game was the the... Oh my God, the play action freaking heavy game from the Giants. Oh my God. This is when I was that I hadn't seen so much weak or inside zone play action in one game in I don't know how long. <laughs> I'm talking since Wisconsin in 2010. That's what this game is. Very felt bad like. against play action. So <laughs> it's not surprising. Um and this is this was interesting. So this was the game I also like just also remembering how Daniel Jones played. He didn't have a uh, the QB design runs which has been such a weapon for the Giants this year. Vikings are actually pretty decent defending designed runs. They're 30th not 30th in EPA per drop back against play action the Minnesota Vikings they're, are. But Just they're not. to make sure I did that. No, they're yeah, they're not good. Well, this is also tied to it. The Vikings are very not good against QB scrambles. They've given up the fifth most EPA against QB scrambles in the entire league. Middle of the pack success rate. But if you even look, Daniel Jones this last game, I think he had like four or five carries for like 30-something yards, like just ripping off chunks. Every time that's not even just boots. That's him with just the normal play action in the pocket. I tie it into that. The Vikings defense is very pass first stoppage, you know, so that all their linebackers, all their intermediate defenders look up because they're bracketing guys and just how their match coverage works. So they don't look at the quarterback. The other thing to look at is why that's tied in is not only just scrambles, it's extended plays against this Vikings defense. I think that's a huge way you get after them. And sure enough, you look at the stats you know, when the quarterback bounces around, the Vikings are a bottom five defense when pass plays take three or more seconds. And that is just the longer the plays go, they, those match coverages, they have time. They're thinking, okay, one Mississippi, two Mississippi. Okay, that's my coverage. That's my rules. The bottom five defenses that take three or more seconds. So this is not a group you want to be in. It's the Lions, the Bears, the Raiders, the Cardinals, and the Vikings. So that is not 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 a good group uh, of defenses. I think that's a very important thing. Daniel Jones's legs have been one of the greatest weapons of this year. I think they he'll rip off a couple scrambles as opposed to design runs. Also, the other thing was this Giants offense, not only just those play actions off inside zone, they were just running inside zone, period. Weak side zone, too. So inside zone is zone away from the tight end. I say inside, but weak side zone, however you want to put it. You can run that against light boxes, which is what the Vikings like to run. So it's just kind of a simplest answer type of thing. So I think you're going to see a lot of inside zone. You're going to see a lot of play action. And you're going to see a lot of Daniel Jones extended plays. I think that's going to be their answer. Vikings are dead last in the NFL this season in net yards per attempt against play action. Giants are 30th. So two teams that have really struggled in that Love area it. this year. And that's what you saw. 21 personnel from yep. the Vikings play action. So that's not surprising. Rewatching that game. Guys were open. They were. When the Vikings are sitting there playing zone. The guys are open, and mm-hmm. Daniel Jones, I thought, played pretty well. You know, there was the one pick to Patrick Peterson that I think this is, kind is one of, of his re- better games. I, 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 I agree. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. That's receiver can come back to that ball more than he did uh, on that crosser that Patrick Peterson intercepted. It was yeah. Isaiah Hodgins, who I think is pretty good. 
<laughs> I've really enjoyed watching him for a sick for a tall guy. He's got a decent amount of wiggle. He's got some and juice. I thought he had a really nice game, and they're just high low in the shit out of people uh, yep. against zone coverages in this game, and that's yep. why I thought that the Vikings over the course of the game smartly started dialing up more pressure mm-hmm. and started playing more man coverage, and that's where they found some success. So I think so that they funny. probably should lean into that a little bit more. They've played man on 35% of their snaps over the past month, the Vikings have, according to Next Gen. That's more than double what it was over the first 14 weeks yeah. of the season. They were, weren't running it at all early in the year. Yeah, I, I think they knew something had to change, and yeah. I think that is what has changed. So I think seeing them be a little bit more aggressive than they were early in this game and really more, more aggressive than they were over the first two-thirds of the season, but have been recently. Wouldn't be surprised by that at all. Yeah. I will say they have an advantage up front pretty substantially, and you saw that even early on the last time these two teams played. Daniil Hunter against Evan Neal is a matchup that the Vikings can consistently win. Yeah. And so that was the biggest problem that the Giants' pass offense was having when they matched up in Week 15 or Week 16 is that they just Daniel Jones didn't have enough time on some of these yeah. plays. But guys were open. So if their pass protection can improve, I think the Giants, again, will be able to move the ball against this team because they showed they could do it last time. There's chunks to be had. There really are. Um, No, that's a great, great point about switching their defense up. The Vikings defense and people are screaming for them to play man. They're terrified of having their corners playing man coverage over and over and over and over. But like you said, like we're talking about, you know, Hodgins and everything, but, you know, the Giants receivers aren't. That's scary, you know, kind of like a PG kids horror movie, you know, like I'm trying to think of one. Uh, I'm trying to think of a good one. Goosebumps, like maybe that, like that's what, <laughs> what we're talking about with this receiver group. Um, so I think that's that totally makes a lot of sense. I think John Feliciano, just from experience uh, coaching him, he's, he's very heady and knows his stuff. So at least sorting out protections, they'll go to the right guys, but it's winning those one-on-ones. And Daniel Hunter is a terrible matchup for Neil. Because we, t- well, we Daniel Hunter, I'm, we're just going to call the junk ball pitcher now because that's what he is. Evan Neal's, he's still figuring out his hands. He's he if, once he gets he's his hands on top you, heavy sometimes, and that's yep. kind of what Hunter can do. He'll make you lunge and he'll make you pay for exactly. it. Exactly, it's kind of not not great. Andrew Thomas on the other side though, lock him down. But the, also those blitz looks, that's a great point too because that's been the I think the best part of the Vikings defense this whole year is getting that Zadarius Smith as the spinner moving him around and getting some of those looks. That's where they've been the most creative and the most um, explosive as a defense. So, yeah, I think that's the, what they have to kind of turn to. Maybe instead of sprinkling that in, you have a more of a dash of it, you know, half of it with those types of looks. All right, next one. Bucks hosting the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys are two and a half point favorites. I'm a little worried about the Cowboys, man. The last couple weeks and what it's looked like on both sides of the ball, they looked out of sorts offensively. It was one of the worst games that Dak has ever had in his career against Washington last week. The running game couldn't get anything going. The state of their secondary and specifically that other cornerback spot is a real concern. Mm-hmm. You know, People joked when Tom Brady was dicing up the Panthers in that win or go home game. Well, he's not going to be able to play against backup corners every single week. Guess what? <laughs> The the, no. Vike, the the Cowboys, I still don't think, know who their best option is at that other outside corner spot. So for so much of this season, it felt like Dallas was entrenched mm-hmm. as one of the contending teams, 
one of those blue blood Super Bowl contenders. Eagles, Niners, Cowboys. Eagles, yeah, Niners, just Cowboys. right there, yeah. right in the thick of it with everybody else. And the Bucks were like, oh, shucks. You know, just not the year. <laughs> Bucks can't figure it out. And we get to the wild card round, and it feels so much more even and yeah. so much more of a toss-up than it did for 97% of this entire season. Essentially, since week one ended, when these right. two teams played against each other. Right. The Bucks get them at the perfect times. Like <laughs> That's really what it feels like. No, that, that second corner spot is glaring. Uh, do you want to just go Bucks so offense, let's do Cowboys? So, yeah, so Bucks, Bucks offense, offense, Cowboys, Cowboys defense. defense. Let's do it. Well, even just looking at DVOA, and I love the receiver stats there, is the Cowboys, they're third overall and just uh, uh, passing DVOA. 13th against the number one receiver. That makes sense. You know, man, cover two. They're 32nd against the number two receivers for other teams. And that shows up time and again. When you can't run a, a one coverage, literally cover one, because other teams are highlighting that matchup, it, that's a problem. Um, especially when a team has guys like Mike Evans and Chris Godwin and Julio Jones and Russell Gage. Like that's still pretty scary, even how they played this year. I think the other thing, the most important guy coming back for this Cowboys defense is Leighton Vander Esch. And Leighton Vander Esch hasn't been that, uh, like maybe as dynamic as he has been since his rookie year when he had a great year and he's battled injuries and everything. But he is such a calming presence for this defense, especially in the run game. Um, Demarcus Lawrence and, and Micah Parsons, especially Demarcus Lawrence, fantastic against the run. They go rogue a little bit. They pick up keys and they tee off when they think they can take advantage. They have better bees, which is better be right. They, they do that quite often. Van Der Esch was kind of the like, okay, I'll clean it up for you guys. All right, you you knife in Demarcus Lawrence. Okay, I'm going to work on the outside. Um, any soccer fans that – it's the Makalele role. It's the central defender behind a bunch of stars up front. That's basically what he does for them. Um, but really, that I think is so important for them. And Jonathan Hankins coming back in, in the interior defensive line as well. That He was a huge – he's such a different body type than what this Cowboys defense has. Yeah, that's a great point. Yeah, he's he's very important. The problem is the Bucks offense or running game hasn't been great this year anyway. So it's not like really like something you're like, yeah, we shorted up against this feisty Bucks run offense. It's not very feisty. It's not at all. They're very at you with their run attack. They only run, they run duo, inside zone, split zone, still to this day, still same run game that they always run. Um, what you usually get after this Cowboys run game or run defense is side to side stuff. Linebackers moving, defensive line knives inside. You can get them out to the outside. Bucks don't do that. How they attack to the sides is uh, a lot of receiver screens and yep. all that. They, they and, replace the running game with those quick. That's how they quick throws yep. to the perimeter. Yep. But the Cowboys actually they they are very fast and they actually kind of recover against that well. So it's not a great answer for them. So I I think what the Bucks are going to do and Tom Brady will take matchups left and I mean over and over and over. He has no qualms taking matchups he likes. Whoever's starting that second corner for those Cowboys that that guy's in for a long day. And I think yeah. that's exactly what it's going to be. I think if it's Mike Evans out there, Julio, Russell Gage, because Godwin will be in the slot. I think it's if the uh, Cowboys are in cover two, like they like to be, it's going to be a Godwin show. If they run man or bring pressure, it's going to be the second receiver show, whoever's on the outside or Mike Evans on the outside. And I think that's if the Cowboys can hold off, hold off those big plays. I just don't think the Bucks can. I, I shouldn't say I don't think they can, but it's going to be a longer day because they're just such a non-explosive team otherwise. So Trayvon Diggs plays most of his snaps on the right side. One side, right? Yep. Yeah. So 973 defensive snaps this season, 854 of them on the right side. I wonder 
if they let him go around with Mike Evans in this game. They should. I, I think it's just suicide if you don't. That's two suicides in one show. <laughs> it just feels like they'll be able whoever is on that other side i mean you yep. get a couple chunks vertically against that guy the same way you did against carolina yep. i think you're just asking for trouble if you're going to stick him on that right side and I agree. feed russell gage to him for the entire game while mike evans goes crazy over there yep. i just that just doesn't make sense to me so there's only been two games this season where he's played more than 17 snaps uh, okay. on the other side of the field one was against the colts so I'm not sure what the shadow situation was there. Yeah, and the weird. other one was against the Eagles. Oh, well, that so, one probably. <laughs> probably probably proud. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it probably was. So yeah. I, I, I probably should have gone back and rewatched that game. But it seems like they are willing to do it maybe with the right receiver. So hopefully we'll see that because I think that's their best answer. It has to be. It, it, and I'm telling you, Tom Brady, a lot of the really good quarterbacks, they, are, they, they don't get bored. With just taking a matchup, they they just don't. Some do, I mean, they do, but they're going to pound away until they get those points out of you. And I think that's the simplest answer to me. That's a straightest pass. So that's a great call. I, I'm curious if they travel with them. Bucks offensive line, I think, is back. You know, yeah. back, back, back. The best they can be. This yes. version of it, Sands, Ryan, it. Jensen, getting yep. Worfs back. I think that getting Donovan Smith back. You've seen a big difference Huge over difference. the last couple of weeks. Their ability to even function. The one other aspect of this matchup that I think is important is we've seen it all season. When the Bucks force the tempo literally a little bit, they look so much better offensively. So I looked up the numbers. When the Bucks huddle this season, Tom Brady is 25th in the NFL in EPA per dropback of 32 quarterbacks that have thrown at least 250 passes. He's right between Marcus Mariota and Davis Mills. Mm, gotta love that tier. When they don't huddle, he's eighth. Yeah. I, I just want to see them play with that sort of urgency. But let's just pretend that yep. the, the entire game is being played with a minute and 48 seconds left in the second quarter. Right. Well, especially against a Cowboys defense. Like I said before, you they can get gashed because they're so aggressive or they're so – they're just not always mentally stable <laughs> as a defense. Like they, they just have some breaks. They just do. It's just they're aggressive and they play with their hair on fire, but they play fast. Everything's fast. So – that's a way to get after a team is tempo. Make them try and get lined up. You can't sub. You can't do anything you want to do. That's a great answer, though. I, I We can't overstate this other cornerback thing for the Cowboys. I don't think they know who it's going to be. They don't. Based on the things They're that I've read. They're still having tryouts. So, Nation Wright did it for a little while. Anthony yeah. Brown is the other outside starting corner for the Cowboys. Okay, yeah. Anthony Brown got hurt earlier this season. Since Anthony Brown got hurt. They've been shredded. <laughs> Kelvin Joseph, their second round pick from last year, has gotten yeah. a little bit of run there. He's unplayable Na- right now. Yeah. <laughs> Nation Wright, who is a 6'4 corner, at watching him is wild. Yeah. He got the second chance of it. He played about half of the Washington game. They were like, ah, sorry. <laughs> Trayvon Mullen, who they signed off the street not too long ago. Trayvon Mullen's bounced around. He got his shot last week, got burned by Terry McLaurin on a deep completion. Right. And Xavier Rhodes, they signed off the street. Yeah. What is it? So <laughs> it, it might be Xavier Rhodes. Like that, that's how much they're <laughs> scrambling. Yeah. For an answer at that spot right now. And sometimes you can hide one weak link in your mm-hmm. defense. They have not been able to do it. Teams have just been spamming it. And I think that's exactly what you're going to see the Bucks do. They are yeah. going to test it until you prove that you have an answer over there. That, and that's the thing is the simplest answer to hide a corner is run cover two. 
and just hey, you're in the flat. You can't screw us up too much defending high lows. That's the just simple one of the simple answers I should say because I don't want three defensive coaches tweeting at me and going like, oh, you can't do that with this guy. So the Deontay. So the <laughs> but it's over the middle though. <laughs> Is where the weakness is, and that's where Godwin makes a field day. It's a great, and, it's a great point, and that's the thing. So it's like, oh, just run cover two. Godwin will have fourteen catches for one hundred and forty yards and two touchdowns. That they'll just that's all you do. Or Brady, who loves to check it down more than Brady, well, pinning it on Fournette or Rashad White, like they have answers for that. So that's why the 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 success of this Cowboys defense or what they've leaned into this year, their majors this year is two and one, uh, cover two and cover one. But that's the balance of it. You don't want to, you want those knobs to always be turned in a certain direction, but you don't want to go 100 0. Because a quarterback like Brady, oh, you're going to run cover two every snap? Well, guess what? I'm going to find a throw or I'm going to make sure I tell Leftwich, hey, let's get to this play on next drive because we got him. We got a high right, low. I go rogue and call the place. Or go rogue and call the place. <laughs> oh, no. I, hey, headset's out. Headset's out. Can't hear you. Yeah, can't hear you. What, what do you got? Oh, 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 sorry. Here we go. So, which also could happen as well. So that's why. We can't reiterate enough how important this is, how, how figuring this out for the Cowboys. One more reason for them to go tempo. Brady, <laughs> right. Start operating right. at the line. On the other side of the ball, most interesting part of the Cowboys offense against the Bucks defense to you. It's, I would say most, yeah, I guess most interesting. The spotlight for me is the Cowboys offensive line and how they sorted it out. Um, I think with this Bucks defense, you kind of know what they are. They're, they're gotten better against the run in the second half of the year. Vita Vea looks like he's back nearly healthy. He sat out last week, kind of like in a little rest week after he came back from injury. They they still are strong against the run, uh, still physical. They still bring a lot of pressures and all, all those types of things. When Tyre Biotish has been out, he got hurt in the second half against the Titans um, with a high ankle sprain, which is a you know a legit six week injury. It, guys will feel right about two weeks. I've had a high ankle. You feel good after two weeks, like. Not that I have the explosive level of any of these NFL guys, but really you're not right, right, 100% till six to eight weeks. Um, but it's, it's, that's not ideal going against Vita Vea. What makes it, and I wrote about this this week in a matchup article was with and without Biotish, and it's not a huge sample size, but it is notable, is that without Tower Biotish, they've run 29, the Cowboys have run 29 design runs. Only six of those were successful, which is about a 20% success rate. Yeah. And it looked like it. Their their longest run was six yards in two weeks without. It's Bionish. important to point out that it's not just him. Missing him sets off a, a domino yes. effect of all of the moves that they have to make. They they think their best answer is moving McGovern to center, mm-hmm. then moving Tyler Smith from left guard to left tackle, and then replacing Tyler Smith at left tackle. So three guys change positions when the Cowboys center is hurt, and I yes. think you've seen the effect of that. And that's exactly what it is. It's. Every position, every spot gets worse. And not only that, just communication, run game and pass protection and passing off blitzes, which I'll get to in a second. That's all communication and vibes, not vibes, just chemistry with one another. That's, hey, if we're on a double team, I know when to come off my initial double team to get to the second level because I've, I've practiced this 500 times with my, my buddy to the left. We know, good, go, you know, good, go. Oh, no, hang, hang, hang. Like they know how to communicate and f- get that feel together. So yes, these guys might all have the same rating in Madden, even if you bump positions, but real in real life, there's such a communication, such a feel thing that comes with this. And you can just watch it with this Cowboys team. Um, the other thing too, is now we just running the ball. They, so usually it's 40% their rushing success rate. That's what this Cowboys offense is. It's brutally effective passing or running the ball. They, they, they want those six yard gains to 12 yard gains over and over and over. As soon as you 
drop your guard. You're like, okay, I'm tired of getting jabbed or I raise it up. Then they hook shot you. They get, or they, they throw a hook or a haymaker in there. That's what they do. So their passing success rate dropped 15% with Biotish out. The internal pressure was messing with Dak. And I know Washington kind of was sleepwalking through that game last week against, or, or Dallas was sleepwalking, sleepwalking in that game against Washington last week. But still, you can just feel the differences with this. Dak's off target percentage is 7.8% going into week 18. It was 22% against Washington last week. And that's all that internal pressure. It's him navigating, moving around and having to throw off platform or throwing late. And that's why you kind of saw some of the things kind of get, you know, the trickle down effect of this. And also just going against Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is so blitz happy. He always is. He, ninth in blitz rate this year. They bring simulated pressures at one of the highest, highest rates in the league. Dak is fantastic in the pre-snap process and protections and everything. But if Biotis is out, I know he practiced. He seems like he's going to play. It just puts more on Dak's plate. Now, pre-snap, he has to make sure everyone's good and communicate to McGovern. And uh, hey, Tyler Smith, that left guard now, like you understand this. All those things have a trickle-down effect. It's just another thing that that's on their plate. Um, so that's where, uh, yeah, it's a little, it is a little worrisome, uh, more than you would initially think. I assume that even with him at 70%, let's say that's the number. Yeah. That's the argument for him playing at 70% is that you get to keep everybody else in their spots. And I understand which that. Which I, yeah. I think is a solid argument. Coverages that the Bucks played in week one, 25% cover two, significantly higher than what they typically do. It's 14% on the season. Played a couple snaps of two man, which they have used to do a lot more than they did this year. Yeah. Their numbers in that have been down. Their numbers in man coverage have been down across the board this year. And I wonder if they reconsider that against this Cowboys team. Where if you can take away CD with some doubles, with some brackets, we've seen teams have some success with that. I, I just think that Dak has been so good against zone coverage. He wasn't last week. But if you sit there and play a lot of static zone against him, mm-hmm. or you do some of those sim pressures and you leave space, reminds me of playing against Burrow in that way. Like if you just if you leave him the space, he can he'll he'll find it. So yeah. I wonder what the Bucks plan is going to be with that stuff in mind. And and Gal's back. He didn't play in week one, you know, so like that, that's another, you know, weapon for them. So no, I, I'm curious about that too. Uh, you, you take away CD that, and that's when you're stopping this Cowboys attack passing game. It's you take away him and then I, everything else kind of falls in line. I'm also curious how much the, the Cowboys lean into their tight ends. Um, it seems like they're all fully healthy again. So Kellen Moore will get, and again, talk about getting, this is a common theme. You always hear it's a blitz happy defense. Well, it's getting to heavier personnel. Um, I think Kellen Moore is very creative of how he uses his tight ends. He doesn't just use, uh, they do use a lot of hip formations, but he'll spread them out and, and get to he had one week where he went Oh three personnel with two wide receivers and three tight ends. Um, I think you'll see some heavier personnel groupings and then spreading it out. And then when they do get into 11 with Noah Brown in there, then that's when they run it. I think that's going to be their formula, which I've repeated this kind of type of formula against the Todd Bulls defense, but the Cowboys do have a means to get to it because I do think all their tight ends are legitimate players. Carlton Davis looks like he's going to be back for the Bucks, so their secondary should be you know, back to pretty much full strength, which is important, I think, yep. against this Cowboys team that it's a pretty good matchup for Tampa. And if yeah. the offensive line is even a little bit banged up the way that it has been recently. I think that becomes a more even matchup as well. I think that's why this is pretty even across the board. It is. All right. That is all we got for the NFC. Yeah. If you guys could, I encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're doing live recap shows on Saturday and Sunday to recap these games. 
So if you guys want to come hang out with us on Saturday and Sunday night, you can do that on our YouTube channel. The link to that should be in the description of this podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast if you haven't and leave us a rating and review. I, You guys have done a great job uh, trying to get us toward those 2,000 uh, Apple podcast reviews. We're getting there. I would love to get there before the Super Bowl. So if you like the show, let us know. It yeah. would mean a lot to me. We're in year three. If you've enjoyed the show for any reason, uh, just leave us a review. It would be, I would consider it a personal favor. So thank you very much. Please subscribe to The Athletic. Theathletic.com slash football show is where you can do that. And listen to the AFC preview, which we are about to record and is in your feed right now. Yeah. We'll be back later. Talk to you guys soon. This was The Athletic Football Show.